Who do you want to have the last word on your life? Yourself? Somebody who doesn't like you too much? Or maybe the Wall Street Journal obituary writer? Stay tuned! Welcome to Doing It Best with Elder Care Success, where we explore ways to relieve the stress, exhaustion, and overwhelm that we all face in caring for an aging parent, frail spouse, or partner. Fear, frustration, emotional and financial strain does not have to be your M.O. Stay tuned as we dive into different and new ways of finding more joy together with those that we love and care for and while keeping our feet solid on the ground. Hang tight. There is a better road ahead. Hello, everybody. It's Nancy May from Doing It Best with Elder Care Success. And we actually have what I would say is kind of an unusual hero for me, if you want to call it that, or maybe somebody I just look up to. And that is James Haggerty, who is the Wall Street Journal reporter and obit writer. He is also the author of a new book called Yours Truly, A Guide to Writing Life Stories. That's James Haggerty. I'll put a link to the show note in the show notes to his book because I think it's fascinating. I mean, honestly, I don't know about you, but in college, I was asked several times by professors to write an essay about your obituary. And I don't know how many people do that, but that's probably the last thing I'm thinking of and or I remember thinking about in college was not my obituary. It was more the grade, so I had to do well. In any case, let me tell you a little bit about James because I think he's a fascinating person. He's been a reporter for the Wall Street Journal for 40 years. In his current book, which I said is titled Yours Truly, it's been noted by the Washington Post as one of the 10 most noteworthy books published in December of 2022. And considering it was just released in December 27th, that's pretty amazing. No one really understands the treasures to be found in our life stories other than ourselves, because we all think we're fascinating. But (laughs) that said, I think it's important that we consider what we have to say at the end of our lives so that we don't get left behind. James is from North Dakota originally. He lives in Pittsburgh. He's been there since 2005. And beyond being the obit writer, which he's been for the last seven years, He is a true journalist and reporter and has been with, like I said, the journal for 40 years, worked in London, New York, Hong Kong, Brussels, Atlanta, and he's done some amazing work. He's also written more than 1,000 obituaries in the last seven years and believes that everybody has an interesting story to tell that prevents them from being the best gift. I mean, if you don't write it, it's, it's the best gift you could leave your loved ones. And his motto, which I love is, If obituaries can't be fun, what's the point of dying? So with that note, James, welcome to the show. I am so thrilled to have you here as a guest. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. So let's dive in. I mean, first of all, I want to just talk a little bit about your personal history and getting in here because I'm not sure every journalist aspires to being an obituary writer. No, certainly not. If I, if at age 20, you told me that I was going to be an obituary writer, I would have been horrified. You know, that was thought of as something that was given to the most junior reporter or somebody who was so worn out that he couldn't do anything serious. Weddings and obituaries, right? Exactly. And it was women's work in the day and age. But that was a different era. I have to say and share, too, that we talked before the show, and I learned that you wrote the obituary for my friend Frances Hesselbein, who died at 107 years old in early December of this past year. And Frances was the CEO of Girl Scouts when I was a Girl Scout. 
and an amazing woman. She really turned around the institution with the support of Peter Drucker, her friend. So I'm going to put a link to her obituary in our show notes, too, because I just thought it was so well done. So tell me a little bit about how do we even get started thinking about an obit? Because I didn't do one for either one of my parents, quite frankly, for fear that I worry about having a house that's empty. And a lot of people worry about, are they going to be robbed? And I've got friends in the police force who say, yeah, it does happen. So and most of my parents' friends were gone at that point. Dad was 99 and mom was 91. So where do you even get started in the whole process? I've had a similar experience. Uh, I never really gave obituaries much thought until around 20 years ago. I was living in London and the British papers had very good obituaries. I found myself reading stories about people I'd never heard of and enjoying them. And it made me think uh, there's so much you can do with an obituary. It doesn't have to be just a little dull recitation of names and dates and details about the funeral service. It can be a real life story with lots of color and detail and even humor. And so that got in my mind that someday I'd like to do this. And so when the opportunity came up at the Wall Street Journal about seven years ago, I put my hand up and, and waved very obviously, and I got the job. Once I started doing obituaries, I noticed two things. I was talking a lot to often sons and daughters of people who had died. And I was struck by how much they wanted the story of that life to be preserved, but how little they knew about that story. Oh, yeah, right. You know, you'd ask them, well, I see your dad went through dental school, but then he became an organic farmer. Why was that? I said, oh, you know, that's a good question. I never asked him. Kind of late now, right? <laughs> right. And I said, I'd say, well, do you have any good stories about your dad? And they said, oh, there are millions. I said, great, well, just tell me one or two. And then they'd often draw a total blank. Huh. And it's probably not that they were never told stories. It's just that when you hear these stories from your parents, your friends, your loved ones, you only sort of half hear them and you can't really reconstruct them. So that got me thinking about how precious these stories are and how we should think ahead about how we're going to preserve them. I was very fortunate that my dad and my mom, at least, took a lot of time to share stories about my dad's side of the family. But I don't know anything about my mom's side of the family. And I'm not exactly sure why. So there, there was something that went on there. But beyond her five brothers and one sister, she was one of seven. I know some close stories with her siblings, but not a whole lot. Yet everything that went back on my dad's side to one one relative, his great, I think it was his great grandfather, who sailed around the isthmus and was a California 49er. And it was really fascinating stories that had images of the Wild West and high seas and cowboys and Indians and real estate in New York City. I mean, it was fascinating. They were great, colorful stories. Yeah, these are the kinds of things you have to keep. Uh, but my mom was, was, she was a blank, other than what I knew about her as my mom. Yeah, I had the opposite experience in that I know a lot about my mom's life. She's very open and talks about it. But for my dad, I really know very little, uh, shockingly little, it embarrasses me in a way, because he really didn't like talking about the past. He, if you ask him a question, he'd give you a, a two or three cent, two or three word answer and I realize now that I really should have pressed a bit harder since he wasn't going to write about his life. It was sort of up to me and maybe my sisters and my mom to try to coax a little bit more out of him. In his case, I think really what we should have done is taken him down to a bar and had a drink or two. And I think that would <laughs> open up the flow. Now, that wouldn't work with everybody, but it probably would have helped with my dad. 
the stories would have been a little colorful, maybe a little bit more than you wanted them. But that's good, right? Because you can you can always tone it down. If, you can always edit it down. So the interesting thing I find, at least when I tried to get my dad and my mom to talk more about their lives later on as they were older, my dad didn't want to talk as much later on towards the end of his life than... And neither, my, my mom had dementia, so it was a whole nother story because then those stories, I mean, stories of stories were gone, mm-hmm. pretty much. But how do you suggest that somebody encourage a parent to start telling them about their life when we ourselves are also adults? I mean, we don't want to say, hey, dad, you know, mom, you're going to kick the bucket soon, so I want to like know what to say about you. How would you gently dive into that conversation? Well, you could hand them my book. That'd be one way. Uh, well, we'll do that anyway. But I, but. Think, uh, I think um, for all of us, we should start early, whether it's our own life or the lives of our loved ones. We shouldn't wait until death is near or until old age. We should try to preserve stories as we go along in life. Uh, and there are lots of ways you can do that. When something interesting happens, you can write a little note about it, send it off as a letter or an email or a Facebook posting, and then save a copy for yourself. Because when memories are fresh, you have a lot, you have much, a much better story to tell. Sure. Yeah. You want to try to keep these things. And it's good to just think every now and then when you're young, when you're middle aged, when you're old, what am I trying to do with my life? How is that working out? As a good sort of checkup on whether you're really on the right path or whether you need to make some adjustments. So uh, I'll call it a preview to your own obit can be kind of a way, uh, kind of a check and balance for your own sense of where you want to be in the world, ultimately, on that that last day, and whether you're really contributing or or not, I guess. Correct? Definitely. definitely. If If you can't think of anything positive that could go into your obituary, you know you've got a problem. You've got- that's you're like SOL. That's not a good sign. You, you better like not expect the gates to open to heaven. You know? <laughs> That's right. But you know, I think people don't really need to think of it as an obituary. I really don't like the word obituary because people have don't really know what that means. People usually think it just means some kind of a little death notice. And so why bother with that? And also it might be depressing for some people. I just think of it as my life story and I want to preserve part of that. I don't, we don't need to preserve it all, but just some of the most important things, the most interesting things that have happened to us. Earlier in my career, I commuted from Westport, Connecticut into Manhattan and worked at J. Walter Thompson Advertising. And the local Westport News would, on Friday afternoon, Friday, well, Thursday evenings, I'd pick it up and read the obituaries going in on the morning train ride after the journal or whatever else. But what I often thought was, geez, I wish I had known that person Mm -hmm before they passed, because what a fabulous life. That particular community was filled with so many wonderful, creative people, some of who I knew and reached out to in moving there, and others who I didn't know lived there until they were gone. And my memory of those rides was how sad for me. I mean, sad for their family, but it was rather selfish that I thought I didn't get the benefit of meeting that person and learning from them and figuring out how to be a better creator or individual myself, whether they're good or bad. It, it would have been fun just to sort of belly up to the bar at the, the local ship's restaurant yeah. with them. I often have that feeling. I mean, it, it shows that you don't have to be famous to have an interesting or important story to tell. You know, Samuel Pepys wasn't famous and Anne Frank wasn't famous, but just think how much poorer the world would be if they hadn't written down a bit about their lives. 
That's true. I mean, these were people who'd done some incredible things or been through some some really horrific stories and some good ones in their lives. They were ordinary people. Yeah. And what's precious is that they, they wrote down things as they saw them. Almost every time I write an obituary, when I'm doing it, I think, I really wish I could have met this person. Right. Partly because they're just interesting. And partly because there are some things that only they could answer. So do the more most interesting people get into the Wall Street Journal or can anybody get there? It's like it's like your last stamp on the world. If you really want to leave a big footprint, I guess have an obit in the Wall Street Journal. Well, yeah, basically for me, it is the most interesting stories I can find. I'm a little different in that I write mainly about business people and I'm required to write two, but usually three a week. Huh. And there are not three famous business people who are going to die every week. In fact, usually there's no no famous business person has died. And if a really famous person died, we would do the story on Monday. We wouldn't wait for my... Like Barbara Walters, who passed away, or the Pope recently, right? right. Yeah. We, of course, yeah, we did Barbara Walters immediately. but And we've done, done that in advance. But so but I'm, so I need to do, have these stories. And so I have to find people. And they're rarely people whose name you would know. But I look for an interesting story. How do you find these people, though? If they're not the typical person that's out there, do you hang out in funeral homes? <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I don't know. Well, as I, as I like to tell people, uh, I, I get up every morning and look for the dead. <laughs> I see dead people, right? <laughs> not in my backyard, but on my, my computer. Yep. You know, I, I use a program called Factiva, which lets me look at newspapers all around the world. And I do searches like inventor and died founder and died, CEO and died. Inventor and founder usually are more interesting. But I, I just do a variety of searches. I'm looking for stories I can tell. And sometimes a person will have the most impressive CV you can imagine with lots of awards and important positions, but there's really no story to go with it. It doesn't tell who the person was, right? It's just that the, no story was written, was taken down. You know, huh. The person didn't give any interviews the family doesn't know much. The person never wrote anything, never did an oral history. And so in some of those cases, you just say, well, this is an important person, but it's not an interesting story. You know, you could put up a little notice, but that that's not what I do. I do a story. So I look for some human drama. I like to be able to explain, this is how somebody got on this or that path. And I want to give the why and the how, not just the what they did. And I like it when I can find out here are some of the obstacles they faced, and here's how they got over those. And here are some of the mistakes they made. Oh, those are good ones, yeah. And here's what he or she had to say about his or her life. So you could even just start a conversation with uh, your parent or somebody that you loved or cared about and say things like, I'm giving you some triggers or cues. Like, so tell me, tell me, Dad, like, like, what was the biggest dilemma that you went through in the course of your life at college growing up? Like, what did you find the most challenging mm-hmm. or hardest to do? And did you find anybody that did something you didn't like and why? I mean, at least you, you dig into who the person is beyond being your dad or your mom, I guess, right? Yeah, those are excellent questions. I think you want to get at why did you choose this or that path in terms of your career, in terms of whether you got married or stayed single? It's the who, what, when, where, how, and why. Is that correct, pretty much? But it is the why that's most interesting to me. And then how? Mm-hmm. And then what, what did you think about that in the end? So that's my approach to it. But you, you got to ask a lot of questions. And sometimes you have to ask the same question 10 times 
in 10 different ways before you get really get an answer. You may get different answers along the way. There may be different aspects to the story or different angles that you never even thought about or heard about before too. And this is another reason you don't want to wait till uh, somebody's on his deathbed because you, you, want, you want to do this earlier in life and do a little bit at a time. I mean, it's pretty exhausting to tell your entire story in one afternoon. It's better to just sit down now and then and do a little thinking. You can record it, you can take notes, you can write it, whatever you like. There are things that I believe that parents, and since we're talking about parents here, will share with others that they won't share with their children, whether they're younger or adults. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting because I had a younger sister that passed away when she was three, three and a half, and I was about five from leukemia, mm -hmm. childhood leukemia at the time. Mm -hmm. And there was uh, an aide that worked with us, and she had an, an adult son who was killed in a boating accident, tragically. And she was dealing with a lot of grief and shared that story with my dad. Mm -hmm. And my dad, she told me afterwards at, at his funeral, dad had actually held her hand and consoled her and shared how he went through the grief mm -hmm. of the, the passing of his daughter, my sister. Mm -hmm. And my parents never talked, well, at least my dad never talked about it. So I actually learned something about my dad after his passing and mm -hmm. and what he had done for somebody else that I thought personally was so touching. I wish I had known that story beforehand. Yeah, children so often tell me that tell me that they learned so much about their parents after they died from friends and family and oh. everybody. I think one reason is that we tend to avoid a lot of topics that we think are too sensitive. Or we're too busy in our own lives to be bothered to know, I right. guess. We, we, we often think people don't want to talk about something. But maybe they really do want to talk about it. Well, you're a journalist, so getting tough details out of people is a real art and skill. And it comes through knowing how to ask questions in a way that is not imposing or intimidating or condemning in some cases. So are there some tips on how to ask questions in a way that invites and engages somebody to have that conversation with you a little bit more from a journalistic perspective? Definitely. I mean, first, I wouldn't say, hey, Dad, we're going to talk about your obituary now. <laughs> yeah. You know, Dad, someday, you know, your grandchildren and the rest of us are going to want to know a little bit more about your life. And I'd like to just kind of talk over some things and, and make sure that we really understand what you were all about. And then I would start by asking about things that are pleasant. You know, you don't want to start by asking, uh, you know, well, why, why did you get fired from your first job? <laughs> because then you get the idea, oh, this is just going to be all my failures you want to know about. You know, so you, you make clear that you're interested in the things that went well <laughs> and the things that went bad. And you see, you're interested in the whole picture. And then perhaps the most important thing is that you don't just ask a question and then take down the answer and go to the next question. Because almost always when you ask a question, you only get a partial answer. Mm. So you really need to clarify that answer as best you can. So put your phone on record and have it sort of on the side versus taking notes. My dad didn't like people taking notes. He could, he could write notes. He, I found yeah. piles of like little notes that he had left on stories of this and stories of that and interviews that people had done that I didn't. I mean, there was things that I didn't even know about that were really fascinating that really are part of part of history in, in today, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. But there's a lot that I, I did know, but he never liked anybody sitting there taking notes. Yeah, that, that can make some people really nervous. 
it's kind of intimidating for some. Yeah, yeah they, they pay attention when you are writing. Yeah. So when I'm interviewing people, uh, and they start telling me something really good, and I think they might regret telling me, I stop writing <laughs> because I don't want that again. Wait, you don't put a record like an audio recording. And then uh, a little later, I catch up. Uh, I usually don't record, but recording is a good idea. And when you do it, you should still make sure to clarify those answers. And you should make a transcript of the recording very soon after you do the interview. And then you should go back very carefully and figure out what really needs to be explained here. Because, you know, you, some, you might have said, well, you remember that time you were at the lake with Bernie and uh, Sally water skied right into the dock and broke her leg? And, oh, yeah, I remember that. That was so funny. Well, 20, 30 years from now, when people are reading that conversation, they'll say, oh, that's kind of interesting. But who is Bernie? Ah. And who is Sally? And what lake was that? You've got to look at it and say, what in here is not really explained properly for me and more important for somebody 20 or 30 years from now who doesn't have all the context? So it's not just a conversation between you and your dad. It's a conversation between you and your dad and some people who aren't even born yet. There are online transcription services that are pretty low cost or free. If you if you did a recording mm -hmm. that way, anybody who doesn't like to listen to the story again and write it down, you can certainly do that. And right. At the very least, you've got the the words as they came out of somebody's mouth exactly that way, and you can go back and take a look at right. it. Now, you say humor is a way to sort of draw some really interesting things out as well. Not everybody's life is humorous, so how do you inject the funny stuff into people's stories, or do you? Oh, I try to. <laughs> you know, if you've ever been to a funeral and heard a eulogy, you know that the, the best part of the service, the most comforting part was where the eulogist mentioned some odd habit of the deceased or something funny he said or did. And everybody laughs and they feel a little bit more relaxed and better because they sort of feel like, you know, he's really still with us. We remember all this stuff and we treasure that. So how do you get the humor? It just spells out of people often. But, you know, you ask people, you know, what, what was the strangest experience you ever had as a car mechanic? Or what were some of the biggest challenges you had? Or what was the weirdest thing that ever happened? Questions like that. Or if you're talking, you're get, trying to get information about another person, you say, well, what is your favorite story about Uncle Albert? People often have a favorite story. I like that. You know, what's your favorite story? Now, you're writing your own obituary now as well, or are you not doing that? Yeah, I call it my life story. But that's sort of how this book got started, because I found myself as an obituary writer. I was constantly telling people, write down this stuff because... You know, you don't want to leave it to your kids to write your story because they're going to make a head. Or screw it up for you, right? <laughs> you know, despite they'll be very well-meaning, but they just can't do it the way you can. So I kept telling people, you should write down things. And I thought, well, I should uh, do the same for myself then. And I started writing about my life. And I've written quite a bit. I've never gotten finished it. I, I'm still a work in progress. But I found it a very interesting experience and challenging, but one that's worth doing. Uh, I find it helps to do it in little chunks, you know, rather than sit down and spend a whole weekend trying to remember my whole life story. I just write for 15, 20 minutes once or twice a week. It's like creating a journal, right? And I'm often thinking about if I think of something, I run over to my computer and I just put, put it in a log, you know, oh, I should write about this little incident or this little insight I've just had. My mom did this for us years back, my sister and myself, is that she took all the family photos from generations that they had and put them in picture books or photo albums and mm -hmm. had little notes and stories 
they weren't long ones. They were short little couple lines about where the photo was taken, what happened, and they triggered conversations to find like, I didn't know that dad's family lived on the Jersey Shore, really? And that, you know, mm-hmm. he did this or that we're going to pictures of your parents and what happened, what were things like back then? So it was helpful to have that. And for for my sister and myself later on as they passed fairly not too long ago it was also helpful in in grief because it it made us realize that yeah they were our parents but there was so much life before them and around them and Mm -hmm. that's part of us which was pretty cool definitely i think annotating Photo albums is a great idea. It's, it's a great way to sort of painless way to preserve a lot of your story. Um, and it, you can do it whether it's in a old fashioned paper album or uh, a digital album. And you should do it in any case because, uh, you know, when you inherit photo albums uh, that are 20, 30, 40 years old, you find that you don't know a lot of those people and you'd like to know the story behind the pictures. Uh, if you don't have that, you're probably going to end up just throwing them out. But but that's a shame because uh, there's a lot of value in those old pictures. Yeah, I see in antique stores, we were recently, the old tintype photos of families. And I thought, oh my God, somebody's family photos here. It broke my heart to think that they were they were lost to, it was really sort of a trinkets and trash shop is what I call them, right? And nobody cared that those photos were there. I kind of wanted to take them all home and make up stories for myself yeah. about them yeah. <laughs> to make myself feel better. Nobody else is going to know, but maybe they may, may feel better. Yeah, I was in an estate sale once and I saw hundreds and hundreds of slides from some lady's trip to Greece. And I thought, this is so sad that nobody wants her right. memories of that trip, right. trip to Greece. But the fact is that nobody's going to want all of our pictures or all of our memories, but somebody is probably going to want some of them. And you can kind of pick out things that might be the most interesting and the most instructive and the most inspiring, the most educational things that have happened to you and just things you would like to have remembered. And, you know, if you might write a few paragraphs, you might write a book. It's just up to you, but try to do a little something. There's a, a number of people that I have met over the years that are videographers. And so they'll record family stories in some sort of video or CD or now program that mm-hmm. it could be a web page. I started one for my dad after he, before he passed, but I have to finish it now. But it does bring up the, the parts that that I want to remember, and yeah, I think it'd be kind of interesting for for other folks too because he did some some unusual things. Yeah. A couple of questions before before we go. Do you think your first obituary was good, as good as the one? that you most recently did? Well, in my book, I talk about the very first obituary I ever wrote, was, which was when I was in college. Uh, I don't know if you're referring to that one or if you're referring to my first professional I would say, well, obituary. the first one you wrote in college, was that published? In the student newspaper. Oh, it was. Interesting. So you were you were actually training to be an obit writer and you didn't even know it. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, I mean, looking back on it, I, I didn't do a terrible job, but I could have definitely done a better job. What would you have done differently? Well, this was a friend who died in a very suddenly. He was working on a, in the summer on a log cabin building crew, and a, a log rolled off the roof and killed him instantly. Oh. So shocking. And I had a lot of letters from him, and I quoted from them because they were very funny. And I, I had some experiences with him that I could write about. What I didn't do was talk to his parents and more of his friends 
because I could have found a lot more stories. And I'm sure his personality was much more varied and richer than I knew, looking at Fred from one angle. So it's interesting. I think what I take from that is that the story of someone's life, they may have told it one way, but others really see the full person also in a different way. And that can add richness to that life story. Definitely. The more people you can talk right. to, the better. But still, the best source is always the person you're writing about. So, Of course. Well, you know, some of them, some of us tell bigger stories than we probably should. <laughs> before, before we go, there's there's something that somebody brought up to me the other day. I haven't found it yet, but I will look for it a little uh, deeper. And apparently there's a woman that's on TikTok that finds the most horrific obituaries out there of people who did horrible things. And so the people who write the obits tell how horrible those people were later on in life. And she's like this TikTok phenomenon. I find that pretty horrific. <laughs> so I guess there's a, there's a moral yeah. to the story that be careful what you do and what others might write if you don't take control of your own life story now. Well, that's <laughs> definitely true. You know, you don't want to be the subject of that kind of an obituary. I'm not, I'm not sure that that's the best way to... TikTok may not be the best way to remember people who you, who you know. It's like, who gets the last laugh? Like, revenge on that SOB. I'll get them. Ha ha. <laughs> yeah, you occasionally see on the internet these obituaries supposedly written by families who hated their mom or dad and or ones that are just full of uh, jokes start to finish. Did you write the obituary for Bernie Madoff? I, I can't remember. Okay. <laughs> I'll have to go look. Did I write it? Yeah. Oh, no, I did not. Uh, that was done by a colleague who had covered that case. So, yeah, that, that, that kind of obituary is challenging because often people don't really want to read much about such sad and uninspiring stories. Right. But I think it's important to tell those stories for their educational value. And also, I think if, if I was writing about Bernie Madoff, I'd try to find out, well, what were some of the good things he did? Yeah, I mean, can't, you can't be all bad all the time. At least I hope Definitely not. not. Right? Definitely not. Any last words that, you know, final word, final obituary words? I don't know. <laughs> what do we say? Well, but the final words would be that, you know, people often say, oh, you know, who's going to care about me mm. after I'm gone? Well, you never know. When I think back to my dad, I always say, I'd like to know more about my dad. And now it's too late. Or it might be a stranger reading the Westport News and going into New York City on her commute to work. So you never know, right? Yeah, yeah. My, my dad's story could have been interesting to other people, yeah. too. Thank you, James. This has been a really special conversation. I appreciate it. And for those of you who are listening, I will make sure that there is a link to his book, which is just it's called Yours Truly, and I can't think of a better title for a book about how to write an obituary or your life story, which is even better because in the end, you want to have the final word. Mm -hmm. I guess that's it, right? Thank you, James. Definitely. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thank you so much. You're welcome. If you are not subscribing to the show, please do. And actually, one of the other best gifts you can give is sharing a link so that your friends and family can subscribe or not even subscribe, just listen to it because there's some really amazing words of wisdom. It's not just about obituaries. It's all about life. Thank you. We'll see you soon or we'll hear you soon. Bye-bye. This show is sponsored by Caremanity, the publishers of How to Survive 911 Medical Emergencies, a step-by-step -step guide before, during, and after. For your own personalized free file of life, go to www.howtosurvive911.com. 
All trademarks, brands, and comments are not intended to be substitutes for medical, financial, or legal advice. Please consult a medical, legal, or financial professional for issues relevant to your own personal situation. This show is produced by Caremanity LLC. All rights reserved. Copyright Caremanity LLC.